When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, happy Friday. This is Football Social Daily, a new podcast all about the Premier League every single day of the season. I'm Jim Salverson and as we career into the weekend, we've got a load to get through on today's podcast. Today, we're going to be looking at Everton ending the FA Cup dreams of Boreham Wood last night in what was far from a comprehensive win for the Toffees. They booked their place against Crystal Palace in the next round. But are there more important issues to worry about at Goodison Park right now? We're also going to preview our three picks from the weekend's football action with our tips if you're playing along with Who Knows Wins. It's a relegation special today as we look at the wrong end of the table and some of the teams involved there. And you'll get the picks of myself, Niall McCorn, and Marley Anderson on that later because that is who is joining me on today's podcast. How are we doing, lads? Good, thanks, Jim. Pretty tired, to be honest. But as you say, the weekend is almost here, so you can relax on the sofa and take in some Premier League action soon, thankfully. Marley, are you as buzzed for the weekend as Niall? <laughs> <laughs> I am, yeah. Uh, yeah um, I can't wait. I'm like, I'm like a little kid being excited to go up to Newcastle, Newcastle tomorrow. Um, unfortunately, I did twist my ankle at football last night, so the 14 flights of stairs up to the top of the Leases end are going to be very... How are you doing, uh, doing the Brighton game? I am, yeah. I'm going up, yeah. Lovely stuff. Well, we'll talk yeah. about that later. I'm off to the Football Museum in Manchester this weekend, which I've not done for a while, so I'm looking forward to that as well. But we'll get on to... We won't get on to the Football Museum later. We'll leave that out. <laughs> We're not a tourist podcast. We will talk about Newcastle versus Brighton later. And it's good we've got Marley on today's podcast, because being the proud magpie he is, I'm sure he's going to have a few comments on the story we are starting with on Football Social Daily. And that is the comments made by Newcastle co-owner Amanda Stavley. That's where we're going to start. A spectacular example of failing to read the room from the Newcastle co-owner as she described Roman Abramovich's sale of Chelsea ahead of any potential sanctions he might face in the face of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. She described the fact he is being forced to sell up as not particularly fair. Marley, 
Are you surprised that she has made these comments about a man who supports supports a questionable and oppressive regime in Russia, given her own connections with questionable and oppressive regimes? Uh, I'm not surprised. No, because what what was she gonna say? Like she can't she can't sit there and say you know it's good that Abramovich has been taken. Um, the club's being like he's being forced into this sale because he has dodgy friends. Like she can't say that because she's got dodgy friends. <laughs> Everyone knows that. You know, it's she's not she she physically she can't say anything else. So I don't really get the uproar of like, oh, read the room, Amanda, read the room. Like, no, read her position. Like you can't. Well, she shouldn't be in that position. That's the point, isn't it? It's like if well, you're she is. First of so... all, she's wrong. She's wrong. Yeah, Abramovich hasn't been forced to sell the club. That's just that's a complete misconception. I know. Yeah. It's his choice to sell the club. He's not been forced to, to sell the club. And you talk about that quote, Jim. It's a shame that he's had a football club taken away from him. He's had nothing taken away from him, Roman Abramovich. Absolutely nothing. So in terms of the interview or the quotes that I've seen, which I will admit I've not watched or heard any interview, I've only seen printed quotes, which I think sometimes can be misconstrued. But I think in all fairness to this situation, I think the comments that she's made are just plain and simply misinformed and wrong. Because Abramovich hasn't had Chelsea taken away from him. No one's taken Chelsea away from him. It's his decision to sell the club. So I think that's a an interesting quote to get stuck into even before we talk well, about the deeper issues. Yeah, but every but everybody also knows that it's that I mean, yeah, he isn't technically having it taken away from him, but he is preempting something and 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 and, and cleaning himself. Yeah, exactly. Himself. He's making a call before he gets a call made for him. Yeah, because I mean that's why that there was even uh, reports of. Um, him taking, uh, didn't he, he? He transfer all his shares in a steel making company to himself like two months ago because they were a company that were about to uh, up production of Russian tanks or something like that. So he clearly knows what's going on. So even though it's not technically being taken away from him, he's still protecting himself by, you know, doing what he's doing. Yeah, no, I I agree. I totally agree. But in term in terms of the actual sort of um, the crux of the quote of her saying that. You know that it's a shame that he's had it taken off him. You're you're both right. You know exactly why Roman Abramovich has decided to sell the club. Um, I just I just think it, it, I'm. It's a hard one to to gauge this because Marley's right. You know she's not going to throw her position under the bus and you know her her superiors for want of a better term under the bus. It's just not going to happen. So. Uh, you know, it was one of those questions where whatever she answered, it was always going to be met with some sort of controversy, I think. Well, in that case, Niall, does it kind of cause you to question further the morals behind the Newcastle United takeover? It's something we've discussed again and again and again, whether the group that bought Newcastle United should have been allowed to do it, but it has been allowed. And we know that it is backed by a regime that many in the UK find questionable, find morally corrupt, I guess, would be a reasonable phrase to use. So does that kind of put a question mark further in your mind about the takeover ever having taken place? Well, I think it is a two-pronged answer to this. And the first prong is something which Damien St. John spoke about brilliantly yesterday on the podcast. He's a Chelsea fan, has been since the 80s, and he came on the show yesterday to give us his thoughts from a fan's perspective of Abramovich's decision to sell the club. And he made a great point that billionaires in the large part, are 
not always um, the cleanest characters in society. Um, to, to amass that amount of wealth, you naturally end up rubbing shoulders with some not very nice people, I think. You, and you've you know, got to have screwed a few people over in the past. Even if you're a clean, inverted commas, millionaire like Elon Musk, yeah. etc., I'm sure there are people that he would have wronged in the past. I think in terms of the visualisation of the difference between a million dollars and a billion dollars, if you saw that in a pile of cash in the street in front of you, you'd be staggered at how the, how much bigger the billion pile is than the million pile. And, you know, this is a different question entirely about... Um, you know, socioeconomics and, and the political spectrum, which I think we, we try and sort of not avoid on this show, but we try and kind of tread carefully when we talk about it. But I think Damo was spot on yesterday when he said that when you are that rich, you end up rubbing shoulders with powerful people. And no doubt, Roman Abramovich has rubbed shoulders with powerful people. Amanda Staveley is rubbing shoulders with powerful people. And all, often, those powerful people, as you say, Jim, have had a questionable background. So I certainly think that that is, like I say, of a two-pronged answer here, that is one thread. The other thread would be, I saw that the Premier League are now considering adding a record check of human rights uh, cases uh, as part of the owners and directors test. I mean, should that not have been the case ages and ages and ages ago? You know, why has it taken Newcastle United to be bought for this to be thrown up into question? Well, that that in itself makes no sense, though, because like the the whole like the whole um, sale with Newcastle was held up for months and months and months while they tried to prove that the PIF was Saudi, um, just in a in a sort of uh, a coat, like an overall of, you know, like a, a cover, basically. A disguise, basically. Yeah, yeah, a disguise. So, but they couldn't prove that. So if yeah. if oh, they... Oh, you Saudis in disguise. Yeah. If, oh, you... <laughs> if, if they bring in this thing of like, oh, we're going to do these owners and directors tests, unless friggin' Mussolini decides to buy Brighton, he's not going to fail, is he? He's going to use a different, a slightly different company or yeah. a different, you know, another disguise. Well, well, so Again, and that's the Newcastle really fans' anything. sort of gripe about the Premier League and the whole takeover being delayed, is that the Premier League tried to find uh, a way to, to stop the takeover effectively, but it was their own rules that weren't up to scratch. And so Newcastle's prospective owners, now their current owners, found loopholes, and why wouldn't they? To get what they want. And, uh, and you know that's that's just business i guess so i mean listen as someone who's seen my club be absolutely shafted by the footballing authorities in this country i i'm bitter about it i'm bitter about the owners and directors tests my club nearly got ran out of business we we were, we had administrations we had nearly got liquidated twice with the first premier league team ever and still to this day to go into administration what derby county are going through now which is awful or what portsmouth went through in the premier league was that not a message enough to make sure that the owners and directors test is more rigorous or even better an independent body decides who should own football clubs because they're not usual businesses they are community assets i've said this loads of times on the podcast people are probably sick of me talking about it but i'm still really annoyed at the fact that no lessons were learned from what happened to my football club you know and and, and we're not the only ones it happened to leeds it happened to bolton berry have gone out of business these are obviously clubs of varying sizes but how can that happen to my team 12 years ago this was before the explosion of TV rights and the billions were increased in terms of the revenue the Premier League makes. This was before that. 
This was in 2010. And I'm not going to go through a list of all of the owners that my club had over the years and why they were bad and why they were crooks, etc., etc. But the fact is, the Premier League saw us as an embarrassment when actually they were partly culpable because they waved through some of these owners blasé without really checking their background. And so therefore, you know, in terms of what needs to be done in future to protect football clubs and make sure we don't have these people circling around um, football clubs that maybe could cause them harm, there needs to be a more rigorous owners and directors test. And I don't blame Newcastle fans, and this isn't a dig at them or, or even the Newcastle ownership, because they did what they wanted to do, found loopholes in the Premier League's rules. So I think, like I say, it's a two-pronged answer where, first of all, the Premier League need to do more in terms of their owners and directors test because it just isn't good enough. And that goes for the EFL as well because we've seen it far too often in the lower leagues too with clubs going under and struggling financially. And secondly, as was suggested on yesterday's podcast, rich and powerful people often have a questionable background. So I think that those would be the two things for me that I would want to get across when it comes to this. You mentioned the review at the moment and the consideration for putting human rights clauses into the owner's test when it comes to Premier League clubs. Now, this is part of a wider review. It's just the human rights part that has caught people's attention because of the current news agenda. This comes from a report in The Guardian. And my my issue here, and Niall kind of touched it on it there, Marley, is... The Premier League is a business. It's a consortium of clubs and owners who are primarily in business to make money. Now, any rules that would be voted through in a change to Premier League rules, be it owners, tests or whatever, need to be voted through by members of those Premier League clubs. You need 14 of the 20 to pass any kind of resolution. So ultimately, it's going to be very difficult to get anything through because clubs look at the future of their business and their options for selling in the future. And as Niall says, the majority of people who have the majority of cash probably have questionable practices at some point in their past, be it human rights, be it business practices, be it whatever. So if you're limiting the people that can buy a football club, you're also limiting your potential to make money from that football club. And yes, clubs are community assets, But that has very much been forgotten in favour of clubs being seen as businesses now. So any such rules are, in my view, are really unlikely to actually get voted through anyway, even if they do feel like a good idea. Would you agree with that? Yeah, uh, probably would. Yeah, because I just think if you bring in this sort of um, rule, like they've got rules in here now, you know, in the owners and directors tests that people have walked up to in the last um, you know, three, four years or however many new owners there have been in the last four, like, three to five years and they've looked at it and everyone who's done their due diligence has gone ha, this is a silly test, we can pass that, easy like, <laughs> then, like that's exactly what the Saudis did they went, there's a massive loophole there that doesn't say, uh, that can't prove that the PIF is Saudi Arabia's government and, and crown you know, um, you know, presidency or whatever you want to it's say. It's quite funny, really. It's literally called the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. And <laughs> yeah. they couldn't prove exactly. that the Saudis yeah. were behind it. It's so madness. That's, so that's how poor the, the owners and directors test is. So, yes, it does need um, it does need improving. However, you know, as, as Jim said, um, you know, everyone's got to vote it through. Everyone's probably got skeletons in the closet that they want to uh, keep in firmly in the closet. Um, and everybody, I think, I think if you brought it in, it just exploits more loopholes. Like you can say, oh, you know, you know, we're going to, 
we're going to um, test people's human rights record. But where does that extend to? Because, you know, human rights in the UK is like exploiting zero hours contracts and, and, uh, and labor laws and stuff like that. Mike Ashley's empire is built on exploiting um, zero hours contracts. So he, he could probably then go, oh, I probably shouldn't buy Derby or whoever he might want to buy because he's got dodgy stuff in his past. And every rich person has, as we've mentioned before, there's no clean billionaires. There's no clean millionaires. And the going rate for a yeah. uh, a, a club in the Premier League is at least 150 million quid. Yeah. Who's got that kicking around in the, in the the you know and down the back of the sofa? No one's got that. It brings it back to to the Portsmouth thing is when we were in administration in the Premier League and we had no money and we were in dire straits financially obviously the Premier League were desperate to find us an owner so because it was embarrassing for them that they had a club in the top flight in this biggest league in the world the most watched league in the world in administration it was a, it was a stain on their product it was embarrassing for them to have Pompey in such trouble financially and so they just waved through any owner they could find and obviously with a club like Portsmouth um, in that situation and an asset in trouble in that manner you attract the sharks. The vultures come flying in and pecking at the carcass and you get the dodgy people, the people you don't want involved in football clubs. They're the ones that come sniffing and circling because they smell an opportunity. And obviously when you take on a basket case club, that just became a, a situation in which the Premier League said, All right, okay, we'll have any old person come in and take it over. And, and naturally those people weren't fit for purpose. So I think that that is a situation that we find ourselves in now with, with football ownership, which maybe was started 20 years ago by Roman Abramovich. And now the, the billions and the money in football has got so great that you are looking at just an exclusive pool of people that are able to take on Premier League football clubs because that is the nature of, of, of the game now. It's sad to say, but um, it won't be the first time that you'll hear you know, Amanda Staveley fielding questions on the ownership of Newcastle. I mean, that will be... A, uh, a thread of questioning that will follow her for the next 15 years or however long she's involved with the club. So it, it won't be the first, well, it isn't the first and it certainly won't be the last time you'll hear those sorts of questions thrown at her. It will be the last time we talk about it on today's podcast, though, because we're going to move on to footballing Ooh. issues, finally. <laughs> we're going to do our Who Knows Wins predictions yet. I've picked three games from the weekend's action that we're going to try and pick winners and losers from. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Let's get stuck into a little weekend preview of some of the games that are taking place on Saturday with Who Knows Wins, which is a sports social game where mates, families, colleagues pit their wits against each other for real hard cash and of course bragging rights as well we're playing it on football social daily you can play it too by getting the free app you can download it from the app store or the play store play directly against your mates on it you can build custom leagues or you can join the thriving community of other players playing existing competitions like pick 10 where you pick 10 of the saturday league results it's exactly what we're doing we're playing for the six grand prize fund as well as you you don't have to win get everything right and win the top prizes. Loads of prizes, they kind of trickle down. Even Marley won a couple of quid the other day, which shows how yeah. easy it can be. <laughs> so sure. if you want to take on... your personal best is two at the minute, James. Yeah, yeah, I'm not very good at this. Yeah. So if you want to take on us, the Sports Social team, you can get the app. You can join the Pick 10 League, and that's where we're going to be focusing today with our picks from three of those fixtures. It's a relegation special today. Looking at the wrong end of the table, we're looking at Burnley, Chelsea, Newcastle, Brighton, Norwich, Brentford. They're the three games. We're going to start off with Burnley versus Chelsea. Now, two teams desperate for points at the moment. Very different reasons. Chelsea need that top four. Burnley trying to escape the drop and maybe looking like one of those bottom three that are in there at the moment that are most likely to escape if one of them is. The smart money's on Chelsea for this fixture, now. It has to be mm-hmm. because of their league position but it's not going to be straightforward for Thomas Tuchel, this one, is it? No, absolutely not. And you say that, you know, the the straightforward answer would be to to lump on Chelsea and, and go for them for the victory at Turf Moor. But if you look at their form across the last five games, identical form. Both Chelsea and Burnley have won two, drawn two and lost one of their last five Premier League games. So... Maybe it's not quite as straightforward as, as as you say, as some people are suggesting. Um, I still think Chelsea will be too strong for Burnley. Um, I spoke to uh, Dean Hammond, who will be on the dugout tonight, um, along with Matt Jarvis, previewing the weekend's games. We didn't speak about this game, but he did mention that he watched Leicester versus Burnley midweek in that game at Turf Moor midweek, where Leicester were two nil winners, and he said Burnley just looked shot. Those were his words. He says that they just looked—they—they they looked leggy, they looked tired, they just looked like they didn't have any ideas. You can't afford to look like that against the Chelsea side, who will no doubt be a real tough test for Sean Dyche's men. But that being said, we've seen Burnley pull up some strange results in the past. Chelsea have been patchy. They've drawn too many games um, in the last few weeks, at least since Christmas. That's certainly been the case in my memory. So, yeah, I think I'll be going for Chelsea on this one, but 10% have gone for the draw and 2% for Burnley. So, um, I, I wouldn't be shocked because, you know, in the, in the Premier League, anything can happen. And Burnley have certainly upturned in form they've got a lot to fight for Chelsea know that they're not going to win the league they're probably going to finish in the top four so in in, in terms of who's got more at stake you'd have to suggest Burnley that whether that will alter the the balance in terms of the play who knows but uh, I still fancy Chelsea for this one and if Burnley win um, fair play to the two percent that have picked them I hinted a minute ago Marley that I fancy Burnley to maybe get out of the bottom three if anyone is they've got seven points from the last three matches and not against poor opposition either they were against Brighton Spurs and Crystal Palace they're going to be all right I think especially considering that Leeds and Everton look determined to go down in some way at the moment can you see them getting a point here to help their survival uh like kind of like Niall I wouldn't be I wouldn't be massively surprised um but I think this is just more of a test of, of where Chelsea are as a as a club. You know, they're 
they've got a lot of off-field stuff hanging over them, as we've as we've talked about. Um, and it, you know, it it didn't it didn't help them do much against Luton in in the week. You know, they struggled to a, a three-two win, came from behind twice to to beat Luton, who are obviously lower league opposition. So um, it's not straightforward. This uh, I've just looked at the the weather forecasting it's sunny which helps uh helps chelsea because you don't <laughs> you don't want to go to turf more on a driving rain horrible day because they'll, they'll just out fight you but you, chelsea will have to work hard for it and they will have to um you know they they will play a team who they know are fighting for their lives so and we all know burnley get better in the second half of the season um as compared to the first because they were woeful in the first half of the season but now they have started picking up a few points here and there so um they're very much um, in this game, like, I can't see them winning. I think Chelsea will come through this, um, but it, I, I almost think it's like a perfect test as well because if Chelsea can go and beat Burnley and and be kind of comfortable doing it, I think that'll just kind of uh, set them up for the for a, a decent finish to the season and to really cement that third place and and move on and look for look towards the Champions League to see if they can retain that. Does that mean you've gone for a Chelsea win on this one, Marley? It does. Yeah, I've, I'm going for Chelsea win. Yeah. How about you, Noel? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Chelsea win. All right, on the differential here then, here's a little stat for you. Burnley have only lost four times at home this season from their 12 games. Six of those have been Everything draws. has been postponed, has it? <laughs> yeah. I'm going for the draw, though. I think I think there's a potential for a draw in this one. And you've always got to look for the differentials in these games. Right, next one. Newcastle it's United. Well, so far. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, I, I'm not. I'm not having a massive amount of success so far in this game. This weekend's the one, I tell you. Anyway, Newcastle versus Brighton. Now, if Newcastle had started the season with the players they have now and the manager they have now, Marley, where would they be in the league? Because their form of late has been excellent. First. Um, (laughs) I don't know Um, obviously it's one of them questions where you can never you can never tell you never know the answer really because it'll just never you know never be there but um, I don't think we'd I don't think we'd be in trouble as we have been Um, but for, for me it's more just it's the coaching more than the players for me I think it's the the coaching has had more time now to to settle in, and then the players give us, you know, the the January uh, transfers give us the boost uh, around in the mood in a sort of fresh start style um, like type of thing. Like, right, we've got these guys now. This is the second half of the season. Um, we are good enough to get out of this. But I think the the on pitch stuff is is what people are overlooking, and and people, you know, people are just going, oh, you know, they've, they've bought the way out of this, they've bought the way out of that, or. Oh, Chris Wood, 25 million. Kieran Trippier, 20 million. Um, and in reality, Wood hasn't scored. Trippier's been injured for a few weeks. Um, Dan Burns played two games, or maybe three games. Bruno Gimmeresh hasn't started a game because the current midfield is so good. And the midfielders, all the, all our midfielders have been here for at least, well, a year in Willock's case, four or five years in Shelby's case, and, and two or three in Joe Linton's case. So... Um, people Who would have thought you'd be saying, saying that, that John Joe Shelby and Joe Linton in midfield were so good? That's the I reason, though, why if Newcastle stay up, Eddie Howe won't win manager of the season because of what Marley yeah, says. Probably, people yeah. people will say, oh, it's the money. But, you know, Newcastle have won five games this season. It's the same as Watford. 
And I know Watford have played a All game five more. five under Eddie Howe as well. It, it, exactly. And they're unbeaten in the last five. And you think of the games that they've won. They beat Leeds 1-0. Massive uh, result for them in terms of the relegation fight. They beat Everton 3-1 a side that they were reeling in at the time. They beat Aston Villa, who have been patchy, who are now uh, above them by one place in the table, albeit a five-point difference. Big draw against West Ham a couple of weeks ago. That was huge for Newcastle in terms of um, managing to peg back a side chasing for the Champions League. And then Brentford in their last game, last weekend, they beat them 2-0 at Brentford Community Stadium. And now they've overtaken Brentford in the table. So in terms of those games that Eddie Howe has had, four wins from the last five games, including a draw, and they've all been against teams around them in the table. So in terms of the big games, that's been the difference for me because I know when you're down there, every game is a big game, but to to take points off the sides around you, you can't ask any more than that. Brighton, probably it's the reverse story for them. They are looking to avoid a fourth successive defeat with this game. They did well at the beginning of the season, then they kind of tailed off. Do you think they've got that on-the-beach mentality already, Niall? They can't get into Europe. They shouldn't really get into trouble. <laughs> They're so always on the beach. They're from Brighton. That's <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a very good point. It's not a very nice beach, though. It's all pebbly, isn't it, down there? Do you think they've kind of Brighton. switched off, though? Um, I'm not sure. I just think maybe that that is where they, they should be. I think this is their best ever season since they've come up to the Premier League. Obviously, Graham Potter... Um, everyone was mentioning how much of a, a great coach he is. We didn't really see that in terms of league positioning. A lot of people felt that Chris Hewton's sacking at the time two or three years ago was a very harsh one. And the first two seasons under Graham Potter, they finished just a, a jot above the dotted line and narrowly avoided relegation. But this season, I think uh, Potter's coaching has shone through. They're 10th in the table. They've been in the top half for the majority of the season. As you say, they started really, really well. But maybe that start was a bit of um, a bit of overachievement and now 10th, 11th is is roughly where they should be in the Premier League standings. Regardless of whether they finish 10th, 12th, 13th, I think that that will be a huge success story for Brighton and Hove Albion, who let's not forget where they've come from, um, what they've built at the club, the infrastructure they've got there. They've got a manager who certainly knows what he's doing. He has a distinctive style of play. Um, and the fact that you know he's he's gone in there and managed to achieve a a potential top half finish for Brighton and Hove Albion, I think, speaks a lot about his his quality of coaching. In terms of things tailing off and maybe that mentality creeping in, look at their last three games, of which all have been defeats, as you say: two nil to Villa, three nil to Burnley, and two nil to Manchester United. Now that game against United at Old Trafford was unlucky because Lewis Dunk got sent off, but it kind of knocked the momentum out of them a little bit because they were very good on that night at Old Trafford. It has to be said and um, they got beaten Uh, and then they lost 3-0 to Burnley a team who had lots to play for down at the bottom of the table they were fighting and then obviously that defeat to to Apache Aston Villa would have been really disappointing last weekend so you know you add that up uh, that's nine goals conceded without reply in the last three games and for me that has been the issue for Brighton and it always has been it's the top end of the pitch they don't have a, a sharp shooter they don't have a striker who can can bag you 15 goals a season Neil Mope is very very streaky I think he can be good uh, in patches but then he'll go off the boil and he won't score for months Danny Welbeck you know we know his quality in the Premier League but he just can't stay fit and there are other midfield players are good players but there's no one there that you can hang your hat on and say they'll be the difference they're the out and out striker that can bag you a couple of goals in those crunch games in the middle of a season so I think that's the issue for Brighton for me is the uh, the inability uh, to score goals something Newcastle haven't had a problem with with 
with recent fixtures. They've managed to find a way to get past their opposition. Um, so I think this this will be an interesting game. But yeah, for me, that's where Brighton's issues have, have been. Clean sweep for Newcastle? Are we thinking on this one? I've certainly gone for a Newcastle win. I think this is two very well thought of coaches going toe to toe and you've got a team in good form against a team in not good form. So I'm going to go for the draw. <laughs> I fancy a draw for this one. Uh, I I actually think, I think the same. I think it'll be a draw. Um, obviously I'm hoping for a win, but I think we've never, we've never beaten Brighton in the Premier League, um, Newcastle. So nine attempts, five draws, four defeats. So the, I think last season they, they beat us 3-0 twice. I think they beat us 1-0 earlier this season, if I remember rightly. But, um, yeah, it's it's a massive test for, for where we are as a club, I think, because we've played a lot of teams and, and picked up a lot of points recently. But, but Brighton are the best football inside of, that we've played in the last six weeks. Uh, they keep the ball really well. Um, and in the last few years, that, that record has been down to us um, being primarily a counter-attack team, so letting them have possession and then trying to hit on the counter-attack, whereas now we actively try and win the ball back you know, all over the pitch and rather than just sit in and hope for the best on the counter-attack. So it'll be a really interesting game because I, I still don't know how good we are against a team that will try and do that yet because there's, there's been signs of us getting better, but you know, does it... Does it um, come out into a into a like a point or three points? So um, I I think it's really hard to call this one, but um, I'd take a point and I'd be I'd be uh, if I well if I was gonna say if I had to put money on it, but I do have to put money on it. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd go for a draw. I'd go for a draw. Right, final game from our trio is Norwich versus Brentford. Now Norwich did look like for a little bit they had a chance to potentially escape the drop. Blockbuster. Yeah, some good performances, points picked up after the appointment of Dean Smith. But now, lost the last three, rock bottom of the table, escape looking very, 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 very unlikely now. Yeah, unfortunately for Norwich City, um, the difference at the moment to safety is uh, at least five points. And that doesn't take into account their wretched goal difference of minus 40 They've conceded 55 goals this season and scored just 15. So even if they did manage to get out of it by some miraculous attempt of of getting to just where Everton are at the moment, Everton's goal difference, minus 13. So I think that there's <laughs> there's a lesson to be learned there in that. But that being said, the last three defeats for Norwich, 2-0 away at Southampton. Saints' form at St. Mary's has been excellent recently. So they're the informed team in the Premier League, or one of at the moment, Southampton. Um, and then the two games before that were against Liverpool in the Premier League and uh, Manchester City at Carrow Road. So... Uh, let's not read too much into those uh, three defeats. Uh, I think they've been better. They just haven't been. Good yeah, enough I mean, they still. they they drew with Crystal Palace at the start of February, and then at the end of January, they beat Watford three 0 which might have been for some the turning point. Taking points off of Watford, winning in such emphatic fashion, could have been the springboard for them to kick on. Just hasn't been the case. I think this one with Brentford though could be uh, one of the few games of the season that Norwich City might get a full allocation of points. And the reason I say that is because. Their first win in the Premier League campaign came in November and it came against Brentford. And I remember talking about it at the time and suggesting that the reason that that was their first win of the season is because they know Brentford. They came up from the championship with them last season. Obviously, Norwich won the division and Brentford came up as one of those three sides promoted to the Premier League. So I definitely feel that it could be their fifth win 
uh, of the campaign just purely because I don't think there's that mental scarring and that 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 kind of fear factor of of coming up against some of the better players in the in the Premier League and the better teams because no disrespect to Brentford but these are all players that Norwich City will be familiar with um, from their time together in the Championship so. The statistics to be read into a little bit with that. Brentford have conceded two or more goals in their last nine Premier League away games. So if you're talking about a side who's only scored 15 goals this season, Norwich City by far the fewest, you're coming up against a side who on the road have conceded a lot of goals lately. And I think Thomas Frank is really starting to feel the pressure. They are staring it in the face at the moment, Brentford. I think that their good start to the season, something which Norwich didn't have, is the reason why they are 15th at the moment and not closer to the precipice because form lately has been absolutely wretched. Although Christian Eriksen uh, came off the bench for his first appearance in their last game, whether he'll be called upon from the start, who knows? But Brentford needs something. They need a spark, a bit of quality, something to kind of kick away from those relegation places because they are not looking good at the moment. And I think the saving grace for them right now is is how bad the likes of Norwich, Watford and Leeds United mm-hmm. have been to kind of keep them above it. Niall sounds like he's going for a Norwich victory there, Marley. What are you going for in this one? I've gone for the draw. Yeah, I I, I think I'm going to agree with that. I think I'd go for a draw. Um, I think if anyone wins it, I think it'll be Norwich. Um, they I, More for the fact that Brentford are playing so badly. Um, they I think they're going to probably start Ivan Tony for the first time in a few weeks. Um, I think it'll be four weeks. He hasn't started for four weeks, so he'll probably start the game. Since shouting in an Instagram post, wasn't it? <laughs> that seems to have coincided with him <laughs> disappearing hey, from the team. All I can say is I hope she was worth it, Ivan. But uh, yeah, <laughs> never mind. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. If he comes back and gets a, a link up with Ericsson, that could be the springboard they need to to get out of this uh, relegation mire. But they are very, very, very much in it right now because they they have been poor for for a few weeks. So I think if anyone wins it, I think it'll be Norwich. But I can see it being uh, a drab, dire goalless or 1-1 draw sounds fun if you think you can do better than our predictions then get yourself the who knows win app enter the pick 10 league and you can keep an eye on the action with live updates you can even get involved in the live chat as people go head to head in that league and don't forget you don't need to get them all right to win you just need to get more than everyone else across who knows wins you might be lucky download the app from the app store or get to google play you can get it there as well who knows wins take us on this weekend right we're going to turn our attention to the fa cup next because everton overcame boreham wood last night in what you might have thought was going to be a predictable result but the game was anything but a walkover we'll box it off next on football social daily football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Welcome back, Football Social Daily. We're going to talk about Premier League team Everton's game against Boreham Wood last night in the FA Cup very quickly. Everton creeped past Boreham to claim a place in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. They will be playing Crystal Palace in that. The final score was 2-0. Now, even with losing this match, the cup run for Boreham Wood has been really impressive, Marley. This is something that this lower league team really need to be proud of, isn't it? Yeah, that's, I mean, this is this is what the FA Cup's all about. Boreham Wood getting to the fifth round of the FA yeah. Cup. I mean, Jesus, that's a hell of an achievement. It could go down as as good as any anything you know we've seen in the last ten twenty years. Um, you know, a bunch of part time lads going away to away to a Premier League ground is literally what dreams are made of. So, even though they got you know twenty percent possession and only had one shot in the entire game. Not one of them will give a toss this morning because they'll all be waking up, seeing seeing their pictures taken by professional photographers, um, going through every moment of of that um, of that defeat, and thinking, Do you know what, we only got beat two 0 That's not it's not an embarrassment. We didn't get beat nine or ten. Um, we got beat two 0 by you know uh, two goals from Salomon Rondon, who scored what was he scored like 40 odd goals for Venezuela or something he's like their all-time top scorer and been around the Premier League for for best part of 10 years so it's uh it's meant for them obviously you know they were never really gonna win that game let's be honest but it's not about that as we said you know it's about the finances of the club um getting that far you get a few hundred grand in the in the pot um Everton I, I, I think don't know what it is. I, I don't know if they give them the gate receipts or whatever. But usually, you know, a lot of the time, Premier League clubs do a do a split and give the the lower t- lower league teams a, a a bigger share of the ticket revenue. But um, I'm I'm sure they they did something Everton. I, th- I think they provided the kit for them as well. They paid for a new kit, a memorative uh, strip uh, that they were wearing last night, which was really nice as well. Um, and I I seen um last night. I'm going to put it on our our Twitter and and Facebook later. Um, Frank Lampard texted um, Luke, uh, I think it's called Garrard, um, the Boreham manager before the game on on Monday, um, in in February, sorry Monday seventh of February it says it was, and he just said like, um, just wanted to congratulate you on getting through um, to this to this round. Uh, I never really touched base before this, before games, um, but will make you very welcome when you come to Goodison Park. Um, hopefully not too welcome when the game starts. Classic Frank. Um, and then, like on a coach to coach level, I could see what it meant to you, um, and that's why we do the job. So it's all all just a really nice end to a nice journey. So I think it it just sort of reiterated what the FA Cup's all about. And I was uh, I was a fan of fan of uh, Boreham Wood's little journey to the fifth round. Now you've talked about how nice Frank Lampard and Everton have been to Boreham Wood. I almost feel guilty about what's going to come next because we're probably going to tear him into them a little bit. I mean, Boreham Wood, you mentioned the 20% possession of shot on goal, etc. Yeah, that is true. But I think they came with a game plan. They went out there to frustrate Everton. And they did that for a large portion of the game. But even with that in mind, Noel, considering the gulf between these two teams, Marley mentioned professional, non-professional, there's... 100 odd league places between the two of them you would expect Everton to produce something more dynamic than the performance they put in last night even with the changes that they made to their team it was still a strong 11. I knew this was coming and we said this yesterday on the podcast that this is a lose-lose situation for Everton yeah if they don't thrash Boreham Wood then you get these sorts of questions where people go, this is a Premier League team. They should be hammering Boreham Wood. Um, if they if they do beat Boreham Wood four 0 then everyone goes, oh, oh well, it's a Premier League team. 
They should be they should be winning by that scoreline. I understand where you're coming from here, but um, yeah, Everton are not playing well at the moment. There's 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 not a good um, vibe around the, the way that the games have gone for them. I think there's a better feeling amongst the supporters now, particularly at home with the arrival of Frank Lampard. I think that the, the fan base are excited, and those fans know that they're in a relegation scrap, so they will be needing to get behind their team, particularly at Goodison Park, between now and the end of the season. I think what we said yesterday on the podcast was that Lampard needed to pick his best team and he didn't. And I'm surprised at that. And yes, I understand he probably worried about players getting injuries and stuff like that. Um, who am I to question Frank Lampard? I mean, he's he's an absolute legend of the Premier League, but I think he made the wrong choice. I think what we said yesterday, I know they still won 2-0, so it's hard to say that Lampard made the wrong choice of players. But, you know, Begovic in goal, John Joe Kenny, Jared Branthwaite, Nathan Patterson, Gordon Rondon. These aren't all kind of regular starting eleven um, names for Everton. And if they had a fully fit squad, would all of those players be on the team sheet? I don't think they would be. I think Everton needed to use that game last night with their first choice eleven to play themselves into a bit of form. Yes, they won the game 2-0, but the players that were featuring from the start aren't the players that we're going to see in the Premier League this weekend. For Everton, it's just not going to be the case. So, I'm not sure on that decision when it comes to uh, to, to team selection. Given the lacklustre performance last night, Marley, given I'd say a, maybe a lack of impact that Frank Lampard has had since joining Everton, despite the good feeling around Goodison, do you think Everton fans will be panicking a little bit at the moment? When you look at the league table, they're just off the relegation zone at the moment, and yeah, they've got a game in hand on most of the teams around them, but they're still at the wrong end of the table, and it's not out of the question that in a couple of weeks' time, I mean, even by the end of the weekend, they could find themselves in the relegation zone. Uh, yeah, I think... Um... Look, I, I think Everton will get out of this, and, and most people do as well, but that doesn't change the fact that right now they are they are right in this in this fight, you know. They got uh, overtaken last week by Newcastle. Uh, Burnley aren't far away. Um, you know, Leeds, uh, Leeds just got a new manager, so they might improve. So this is all very real for Everton. Um, so with Lampard being a few weeks into the job now, that bounce has has it has it gone? Have have you had it? You know, um, when they won that game, uh, I think it was his second game in charge. I can't remember who they, they beat, but they beat someone. Um, and it was like, it, is that it? Because it it can't be. It can't just be it. There needs to be more than that. They need to, when they plateau and 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 come off that bounce, that plateau needs to be high enough to pick up, you know, at least a point a game, if not, you know, averaging two points a game because. They are they are very very much in this. I don't know what the fixture list looks like for the rest of the season, but you know it begins begins on Monday night when they go to Spurs. You know they have to go and go and get a result because you know by the time Monday rolls around, the you talk about um, the pressure of the of the table. You know that could be that could be even uh, even heavier when when they go to. Uh, when they turn up at eight o'clock on Monday night, and then you know if if Burnley have got a point this weekend against Chelsea, Everton will go into that in the bottom three. Do you so, want me to read your, you their next fixtures between now and the end of the season? So obviously, as you yeah, say, they've got Tottenham well, Monday. It's it's only going to upset Everton fans when you do not. Well, <laughs> if, you look, if you look, they've got well, they a lot of work already. To yeah, they've got Tottenham on Monday. Then it's Wolves at home, Newcastle at home. FA Cup quarterfinal against Palace. They've still got to play Watford, West Ham, Manchester United, Palace again in the league, the Merseyside derby against Liverpool. This is into April, by the way. Listen to their April fixtures. Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester, Brentford, final day of the season, Arsenal. 
It's going to be hard. It's going to be real not hard. Not a lot of points that there. That is not easy. That's it. That is not easy. So, yeah, if Everton fans, if anyone's sitting there going, yeah, we'll be all right. I don't think there's many of them, by the way, just to just to reiterate that. I don't think there is many that don't think they're in a relegation battle. But if you if you do think you're too good to stay out of it, that's how, that's how teams go down. Um, Everton are very much in this scrap and they need to improve quickly. It's going to be a tricky weekend for Everton, but at least they've got that FA Cup run to look forward to in the next round of the quarterfinals. They're going to be playing Crystal Palace. That is it for today's Football Social Daily. Niall will be back a little bit later today with the dugout. Who's on the dugout today, Niall? Got Matt Jarvis, the lightning quick winger who used to play for West Ham and uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. He'll be joining us. I asked him whether he reckons he could beat Jamie Vardy in a foot race, seeing as they're both the same age. So you can tune in and find out his answer. <laughs> are they the same age? And, uh, yeah, they are. And uh, Matt, uh, Dean Hammond is also uh, joining us as well, formerly of uh, Leicester City, Southampton and Brighton. So we'll get his thoughts too on the weekend's Premier League games. The dugout will be available later. Looking ahead to the weekend. Have a great one, whatever it is you're doing. But that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.